Spread those out among yourselves, okay? Everybody get one of those. At the end of the service, we're going to ask you to do one of two things. Take it, put your name in it, your phone number, and put the church's name and phone number in it, and give it away. And if you, if you can't do that, then leave it in the pew, all right? Because we'll, we'll, we'll keep these for, for, for resources to use um, in our personal evangelism, just in doing the work that God's called us to do. But these, we want you to take these and, and give them away. And obviously, what, what we want to do this morning is take a few minutes and work our way through this together. It's going to be different. It's not really a sermon so much as it is just a teaching time and, and working our way through two ways to live. And the purpose of that is that you'll be comfortable with it. You'll at least be aware of it. You'll be able to hand that over to somebody tonight at the Fall Family Festival or in some other gospel conversation that you're having. And you'll have that as a resource that you can use in many ways to just back up, and, if you will, your own story, your own faith story. And ultimately, our, our testimony, what, we, what God, I believe, has called us to do as we share the gospel is tell others what God has done for us in Christ. But then this is a helpful resource to be able to to point people in the direction of Bible verses and biblical truths that sometimes we may struggle with just in our personal testimony or getting all that wrapped up, if you will, into into that conversation. Um, so, so that's what you have before you. The gospel is, and we throw that name, we throw that word out a lot. And, and I fear that sometimes we throw it around and use it to the point that we've lost its amazing significance. That the gospel is good news. That, that's what the word means in the, in the Greek language, euangelion. It's, it's good news. It's the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. It's a proclamation. So as we, as we think about that, the gospel is so profound that Paul prayed in Ephesians that together God would give us the strength. He would, he would let Christ dwell in our hearts through faith so that together we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, the height and depth? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, he says. Surpasses our understanding. But at the same time, it's simple enough to go into a song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So it's so simple that we can put it in a lyric like that, but it's so profound that we'll have all eternity to, to delve into the depths of the great gospel that we have. And it's summarized well in this little booklet, as well as, as any that, that we've seen. I think it, it's really good for us to look. It's short. It's simple. It's in an outline that's easy to understand. And, and that's what we want you to, to, to be comfortable with this morning, to kind of feel like you can work your way through this yourself and give it to someone else. And here's the other thing. Here's the deal. By God's grace, he may have purposed that this morning, as we work through this, you're going to hear the gospel summarized in these six points with great clarity. And you'll come to the end of this and go, I'm not sure that I've ever prayed that prayer. I'm not sure that I've ever made that decision. I'm not sure that I've ever truly turned from my sin and myself and trusted in Christ. And we'll praise God along with all the angels if someone comes to faith this morning in Jesus. But... That's, that's, that would be cool. And um, that's, that's what this is for. So open it up and take a look at it. As I've said, it's simple enough to explain in a, in a real easy presentation like this, but it is so deep. 
And it begins where Paul began in Acts 17, what we saw last week, what we've actually seen for the last four weeks. Paul, in the synagogue, preached one message. In the marketplace, he shared the gospel in a different way. And in the Areopagus, among the culture of his day, a godless culture very similar to ours, he started all the way in the beginning with creation. And Two Ways to Live starts in the beginning with creation, that God is the ruler and the creator. He is a good ruler and creator. And it goes back all the way to the beginning in Genesis with that truth. It proclaims that truth that we sang and said earlier from Revelation chapter 4. That truth that worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. He is the creator. And they are existing and continue to exist by your will. So we go back to this idea that God is the creator. He made this world and he made it good. And it's the foundational Christian truth of our Christian worldview, church. We cannot, cannot back away from that. God created this world and all that is in it. And he created us in his image. And he gave us the responsibility as human beings to serve under him for his honor and glory, submitting ourselves to him, even as we bring this creation that he's given us under our care. We're to take care of it. We're to be responsible for it. We're to steward it. And as we do that, we do that under the care and stewardship and responsibility and rule of God. So it starts at the very beginning with that. We're called to honor him and be thankful to him because he is good and powerful and generous and gracious. This is how God created things to be. But it's obvious that that's not the way things are. There's another version of this, Two Ways to Live, that frankly, JT and I were looking at it this morning, and we like the kids' version even better than the adult version, because it's easier to understand and it's got better pictures, okay? I love it. I love the colors. I love the message. And I love what it says as we think about God being worthy and that that's not our experience. And the question is, well, what happened? Well, the question is, we don't like being told what to do. And so we want to do it our own way, and we've made a mess of it. That's what the children's version says, and you can't say it any clearer than that. That that's exactly what has happened. The Bible tells us that all of us, all of humanity, have made a bad choice. Our father and mother, Adam and Eve, made that bad choice, and we have continued to make that bad choice. And the prophet Isaiah puts it like this, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us, each of us, has turned to his own way. That's what we've done. In one way or another, all of us have made the decision to ignore God, keep him at a distance, establish for ourselves what is good and right. We don't acknowledge him as God. We don't thank him as generous. We don't honor him and obey him as our ruler. We made our own decisions. We set our own priorities. We'll establish the, the, the truth that's going to be the foundation of our own worldview. Is what's laid out here in this, in this pamphlet. Now, the Bible's word for that, rebellion, and that's what it is, is sin. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory, the standard that God is in himself. But that's the reality of it. The Bible calls it sin, and we all do it regardless of how religious we consider ourselves. We need to recognize that. We need to help others see that. We don't like to do what God tells us to do. 
and we've made a mess of it. And all we need to look to do is look around us, to look within us, and we see that it doesn't work when we try to do it ourselves, right? And it brings destruction and devastation to us, to the people around us, and to our world. And it is a fallen, hurting world. We damage and destroy ourselves and everything around us. So the question is, what does God do about that rebellion? What does he do in response to rebels like us? Jason? So that is the question, what will God do about our rebellion against him? Well, first, we need to understand that God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. In that is a tremendous grace gift, is it not? And he has revealed himself to be, and I believe that it is true because the Bible tells us that it is, that he is the supreme sovereign ruler over all things as creator. But here's the truth. I believe the most egregious lie that sin tells us is that in our rebellion, we can be in charge. We can decide who we will be. We can decide what we will do. We can decide what our lives will be like. So what does God do in response to this? Well, God is a good ruler. He is holy. And He will not allow rebellion to go on forever. If He were not a good ruler, perhaps He would let it go on forever. But He cannot. He is bound by His own holiness, by His own goodness, to do something about the rebellion. And that something is His judgment. God's judgment is set against the rebellion that has broken and distorted His creation. And the truth is, we all experience a taste of this judgment every day in the reality of death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, we tend to think when we think about death, we think about the finality of life. But brothers and sisters, we taste death every day in the brokenness of the creation. We taste death, do we not? Just yesterday, seeing the news come out about this massive party that happened in Seoul, uh, Korea, and 150 lives lost because of a stampede with a bunch of people just having fun and celebrating a holiday. It wrenches our hearts to see the effects of sin on, our, on God's creation. And we taste it every day. We taste it in the brokenness of our relationships. We taste it in our physical bodies as we feel pain, as we feel the brokenness that is there. But the truth is, there is a further judgment beyond death that we all face. And the Bible tells us about this in Hebrews 9.27. It says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face Judgment. We will all stand in judgment one day for our rebellion. And the truth is, we are all guilty for it, as Gerald just told us. And that resonates with us, too. All of us know that we are not perfect. All of us know that we have fallen short of God's standard. All of us have rebelled against God. And the sentence God will pass on that day will be to give rebellious humans exactly what they've asked for, and that is separation from him. We have rejected him. And his judgment will be to give us exactly what we want. That we will be cut off from his life. He is the creator. He is life. In him alone can be found life. And if we choose our own rebellion, then we will be cut off from that life for all of eternity. 
And this is the prospect that we all face because we are all guilty of that rebellion. So the truth is, we are all in trouble. All of us as sinners are in trouble. But here's the good news. That's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. You see, God cares for his creation and he cares about what happens to his creation, including especially the people that he created in his image. And here's the truth. God would have been perfectly good and righteous to leave us in our mess, to leave us to suffer all of the consequences, to wipe it clean and to start over. God would have been completely righteous to do that. But the Bible tells us that that's not what he does. Instead, he sent Jesus into the world to save it. And to redeem it. Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead, God himself stepping down into the midst of our mess. Becoming like us in every way. I'm I'm astonished by this description of Jesus in Philippians 2 that we have. That he who is in the very form of God, he who was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead was willing to be emptied out. Taking the form of humanity. Taking our form. Right. And becoming obedient even to death on a cross for us. See, Jesus came on a rescue mission for us instead of leaving us to face the consequences of our rebellion. He came to us and we see the Bible tells us that Jesus did not rebel. He was completely submitted to the father's plan, completely honoring God, the father in everything that he did. He was sinless. Jesus didn't deserve God's judgment, but the Bible tells us that he willingly, sufficiently and obediently went to the cross and became our sin and the object of God's wrath in our place, taking our judgment and our punishment for the sin that we deserved to pay for. And here's the truth. Here's the beauty in that description from Philippians 2 is that he did this as our substitute, that Jesus came. And even though we fail to live up to God's standard, we fall short of his glory. Jesus came and lived a holy, sinless life for us in our place. And after that, he went to the cross and on the cross, he became our sin. All of our sin laid upon him in our place. He was our substitute to continue on to a passage that Gerald read a little bit about from Isaiah 53. Verse six says this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But listen to the rest of the verse. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity, the sin, the weight of sin, the punishment for sin, the consequences of sin. He laid on him as a substitute for us. And death is the punishment for rebellion. But the Bible tells us that Jesus died our death. Isn't that glorious? But that's not all. That's not the end of the story either. Besides Jesus, do you know anybody that died and didn't stay dead? Anybody know anybody? No. Jesus is the only one. And that's the next point. Jesus, the risen ruler and savior. Here's this is how the Bible puts it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter one, three. 
The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of man, the son of God, the Messiah. He is God, the son. It proves his divinity. And only God has the power over life and death. In our sin, dead to spiritual things, we are unacceptable to God. There's nothing righteous, worthy, pleasing to God in and of ourselves. So Jesus, holy God and holy man, was able to represent us as holy man and able to live a sinless life as holy God. He took the penalty of sin on himself and died on the cross in our place. Paul says in um, Romans 4.25 that Jesus was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Which means he took our sin and his punishment and he gives us his righteousness so that we can be acceptable to holy God. Jesus' resurrection was proof of God's acceptance of Jesus' payment for our sin. God's holiness, his righteousness, and his rightful wrath were satisfied with that payment. Isn't that incredible? 2 Corinthians 5.15, one of my most recent favorite verses is, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus defeated death and he rose up to be the ruler of God's world. Jesus is ruler. And as God's ruler, Jesus has also been appointed as God's judge of the world. And when Jesus returns and judgment day comes, Jesus will be the one calling us to account for our rebellion against God. Now, last Sunday, Gerald preached on Paul's sermon in Acts 17 and They already knew as Paul entered the Areopagus that he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He preached the message using their culture to bring them to bring them to the gospel. But Paul finished his message by telling the Athenians the time of ignorance God overlooked. But now and that now continues till now. Now he commands all people, everyone, everywhere to repent. That is to turn from their sin. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, his name is Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And it says some believed. See, Jesus is the ruler and judge, but not only is he judge, he is the savior from judgment. That's good news. Amen. For those who repent and believe and trust in him, Jesus is savior. He offers to forgive all our sin. It's an opportunity for a fresh start with God, no longer as rebels, but now as loyal friends. And in this new life that Jesus offers, God himself comes to live within us by spirit. And we can experience the joy of a new relationship with God, with God. And when Jesus does return in all his glory, we can be totally confident that we will be acceptable to him. That's good news. And in his power, God raises Jesus to life as ruler and savior and offers forgiveness. Well, what where does that leave us? It leaves us with a a clear choice between two ways to live. This is how the Bible puts it in John 336. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. The first way. To live is to continue in our rebellion against God, ignoring him and doing our own thing and running our own lives our own way. And sadly, many people make that choice. And the end result of living this way is the rightful and certain judgment of God. 
We not only have to put up with the damaging consequences of rejecting God here and now, but we face the dreadful prospect of an eternity in, of misery and hell and separation from a loving and awesome God. Like Gerald said, uh, the children's, children's one says it better. It says that you can say no to God and keep pretending to be your own king. Pretending to be your own king. But God will punish you by shutting you out of his good kingdom forever. That's that's the idea. But there is another way. There's another way. And as we heard from Paul in Athens, it's a call to return from to turn from sin and to believe in and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we turn to God and ask for forgiveness, trusting in Jesus as a resurrected ruler and savior, then everything changes. Everything. You see, when someone comes to Christ, God wipes the slate clean. And as was said, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Death is the penalty and the punishment required for sin. Jesus paid that penalty for all who will trust in him. And God accepts Jesus' death as payment for our sinful rebellion and freely and completely forgives us. And he gives us new life, a full and meaningful life here and life that stretches past death into eternity. He pours his own spirit into our hearts and we go from being his enemies to being his friends, from rebels to now being a part of his family. We we now live with God's son, Jesus, as our king, as our ruler. So there's two ways to live. You see that on the screen. You can reject God as ruler. And that's how we're born as rebels. Or you can submit to Jesus as our ruler. You can live your own way. Continue, continue to live your own way or rely on Jesus's death and resurrection. Trusting him. You, you can live damaged by our rebellion or you can be forgiven by God. And you can face death and judgment or you can receive a new life that lasts forever. So that presents every human with a challenge to repent and believe. So which way do you want to live? That is the question that everyone needs to answer. So if you flip over toward the end of the little, band, the little booklet that you have too, there at the end, how do we respond to this? Now, from a practical standpoint, having a conversation with someone, whether it's tonight, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's at Trish's coffee shop or wherever it may be, um, you, may not, you may not be at this place after one conversation. You may, this may be over a series of conversations or it may be over a, a lunch or a, you know, a, a longer extended conversation. That may be the case. But sooner or later, it has to come to this point. Okay, that's, that's the deal. Sooner or later, people are called to make a decision. People are called to come to a place of response. Which way are you going to live? Is it going to continue to be your way or will it be the Lord's way? Will it be God's way as he's laid it out for us in his scripture and pictured it for us in a perfect way through Christ? It has to come to that point at some point in time. And so the same responses that we saw in Acts 17 are going to be the responses that we can absolutely know for certain we will see with any gospel presentation. Some will say, I don't believe that. I think the resurrection, you know, they'll in some way or another reject that, just as they did in Paul's day. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous that you're going to measure me against somebody else's standard. I'm fine. And they may walk away. Others would say, we would hear more about this. And we can't judge if that person 
is simply going to continue to have a cold heart and walk in just, you know, kind of just being oblivious to it. We can't judge that. So we have to continue to pursue. But some will just delay, 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 delay until they draw their last breath. And it'll be too late. Others will respond. Others will respond immediately. Others will respond over the course of those conversations. And so what is it that that decision looks like? There are three simple steps. Talk, submit, as it says on the screen, and trust. Talk, submit, and trust. Again, the kids' version lays it out pretty clearly. I refer those to you. By the way, there's copies of these back on the back shelf there in our bookstore, in our resource center. um, And you can pick one of them up there. But the first message there, the first response that we have is is just simply to talk to God, admit to him that you are a rebel. Lord, I am a rebel. I admit, I agree with what you say about me in your word. I agree with what you say about me in your word, and I agree that the reason I see all that's going on within me and around me is because of that sin. So we admit that we've rebelled and we deserve his punishment. We admit that to him even as we are thankful that he has offered a way for us to be free from that guilt and condemnation and avoid that punishment that he's given. And that way is through Christ. And so we ask him as we then talk to him, Lord, I come to you turning from my sin. I acknowledge that I'm a rebel and I thank you for Christ's forgiveness. And I want to live my life for you through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we we talk to him, we submit to him. That means we start a process, we start a journey that will last until we draw our last breath. This next step is not a step that you take and then finish. It's the process that all of us who are in Christ have taken at some point in time, which is the process of submitting to Christ, bowing our knee before him on a regular basis. These are These are changes that continue to take place in us, not something that just happened once upon a time when I walked the aisle or got wet in the baptistry. It's a continual, consistent walk with Christ. It's not always consistently good. It'll be two steps forward and three back sometimes. But there is that process. There is that step where we want God and ask God to change those old habits And put in place those new gospel habits, those new God habits, that new character that's in Christ. And this submission is a lifelong reality. And this submission is done through God's gift of his Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us, take up residence in us. It comes through the gift of his word as we spend time in his word and hear from him through his word. It comes through the gift of his church, of his people. As we become a part of the body of Christ and are integrated into that spiritual family, it comes to us through the gift of prayer, conversation, intimate conversation and dialogue with God. All of these are means of grace that he's given us. It comes to us by his grace through Christ, through his Holy Spirit. And then we trust. And trust is not a one-time thing. Trust, trust is a 24-7, 365, whatever number you want to put on it. Trust is how we walk. Church, the scriptures tell us that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's not just the saving faith that leads us to come and confess Christ as Lord. It is the faith that we live in every single day, in every endeavor. And we trust in Him. And it's consistent. It's not always as constant and good as it should be, but we trust in Him alone as the one who forgave us and forgives us. 
We trust in him as the one who has spoken to us in the past and continues to speak to us through his word. And we come back to him daily, preaching this gospel to ourselves, even as we testify to it and live it out before others. We look back to the cross, just like here at communion. We look back to the cross, to the life, the death, the resurrection, and coming of our king. And we live in that reality. And we preach that to ourselves every day. That's what it means to trust. That's the only foundation of a new life in Christ. Have you done that? Today's a good time to ask that. Have you trusted in Jesus? Heard what the Bible says that you've heard in these points today? Have you turned from your sin and yourself? Turned from doing what you would want to do as your own boss? And trusted Jesus as your king. If not, I invite you to come talk to me about that. Jason or JT. Talk to any member of this church about that. You say, well, I've been a member of this church for a long time and I'm not sure. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. That you've come and you're confronted this morning with the reality of what this clear, simple, deep, eternally deep gospel is. And what it means to be submitting to King Jesus and not to yourself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. You are our creator. You are the sustainer of life. We acknowledge that. We praise you and thank you for it. We have rebelled, all of us, and we have gone our own way like sheep. Like stupid sheep, God, we've rebelled against you. But thank you that in your grace you have laid that sin on Jesus. And that whoever confesses Jesus as Lord, Lord, is forgiven of those sins. And God, we thank you for that gracious gift. Thank you that you did not wait for us to get clean. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a gift. Father, I pray that every person who hears this voice of mine has trusted in Jesus or will do so now. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be quick to give the reason for the hope that is within us with those that we talk with, that those that you bring into our path, with those, whether we're in the marketplace, whether we're in the synagogue, the church, or whether we're there in the the culture with all the philosophers and philosophies around us. Lord, help us, I pray, to speak of Jesus and the resurrection. Thank you for gifts and tools like two ways to live. And, Lord, we pray we would um, use these things well to appoint people to you. Thank you, Lord, today. In Christ we say that. We do it for his glory. Amen.